And welcome, Strange Seeds. You're listening to the Primordia Podcast, your source for strange. Open your mind, take off that flesh suit, and dive into primordial waters as we swim through the mystical and magical, weird phenomenon, unsettling synchronicities, and the truly terrifying. I'm your host, Britt. Imagine suddenly waking up from a deep sleep sitting up in bed, your mouth producing noises you can't quite understand. As your eyes open and focus in the dark room, your gaze follows your outstretched arm and your finger, pointing into the darkness before you. There, in the open closet doorway, stands a crouching thing, a horrendously frightening creature, its skin shining in the reflection of moonlight through your window as if it were slick to the touch. The creature has been staring at you the entire time, its small, never-blinking, beady black eyes fixed on your own. The most unsettling attribute of this creature was not the sickly skin, the sharp, haunting gaze, or its slouched form, but the long, gaping hole in place of its mouth. A deep, dark hole, devoid of anything good. The breath that had caught in your throat upon seeing the thing leaves you, and then... Luckily, you wake up before the creature or you have a chance to move or do anything else, cold sweat clinging to your face as you take in air and a feeling of security. It was only a nightmare. This was actually one of my own nightmares that I had when I was a teenager in high school, I think. It's one that I distinctly remember because I happened to draw the thing I saw in my sketchbook, and my dad later looked at the drawing and suggested it was a mound walker. Apparently, his cousin had seen one on the property years before. Spooky, right? Those of us that dream have probably all had nightmares at some point or another, and some of us have them more than we'd like to. Whether you believe the causes for these nightmares to be paranormal, due to stress or trauma, or just your brain's way of processing the day's events in some macabre, gruesome fashion, you've likely wondered why you have them at all. Well, that's exactly what we're going to dive into in this episode of the podcast. You may want to put on a spiritual life preserver for this if you so wish, as we're going out into deep and dark waters. As Ducky, Petrie, and others sing in the land before time, it's going to be deep and dark and dangerous. I'm a little embarrassed that as a grown adult I just made a land before time reference, but I have a feeling some of you will know exactly which song those words are from, so that makes me feel a little better. We all dream even if we don't remember it. It's an essential function of the brain that occurs in most species. For those who do remember some of their dreams, surely they also remember the bad ones and the nightmares. A nightmare is generally defined as a bad dream that disrupts your sleeping pattern enough to wake you. So your really bad dreams that have you throwing your eyes open and gasping for air, looking around, those are nightmares. As with other dreams, nightmares typically occur during bouts of REM sleep, where the REM intervals are lengthened, and this usually occurs during the second half of the sleep cycle when your body begins to prepare for waking hours. This is why dreams may seem vivid and are sometimes easier for us to remember. Because nightmares affect our brains, they can transitively also affect us physically. If you've ever seen a dog make those cute little poof noises and start twitching or kicking during sleep, you've witnessed the physical effects of dreaming. Similar things can happen to humans as well. 
For some, this physical behavior can even transform into sleepwalking or breathing issues. An article from the Sleep Foundation even reads as follows. Some evidence indicates that people who have nightmares may have altered sleep architecture, meaning that they progress abnormally through sleep stages. Some studies have also found a correlation between nightmares and obstructive sleep apnea, OSA, a breathing disorder that causes fragmented sleep, although further research is needed to clarify this association. There's actually another article that I read, a medical article that I will link below, along with the source, that suggested kind of the same thing. So that was interesting. Contrary to my belief, at least, nightmares tend to occur more in children between the ages of 3 and 6 rather than in adults, according to a Harvard Medical School publication. Most of the nightmares I have had and remember have happened outside of that age range, but that may be due to other things. Recurrent or frequent nightmares, however, may be indicative of a sleep disorder. These nightmare disorders, like sleep terrors and sleep paralysis, are considered a form of parasomnia, a sleep disorder characterized by unusual nervous system behavior during sleep. Though numerous studies have been done to understand our sleep patterns, our brainwaves during REM, and how our bodies physically react to them, no one has yet to uncover why we have nightmares. Of course, many speculate that changes in daily routines, big stressors, and even conditions such as PTSD are the main culprits behind nightmares and subsequent sleep disorders. My own nightmares began happening so frequently that I started a dream journal, which has helped me work through my own personal why behind many of them, and it's really interesting. This is definitely something you could do yourself if you feel your dreams have meaning in general, or if you're just looking to release some of that stagnant energy left behind from those bad dreams and nightmares alike. In order to take a closer look at the origins of nightmares, let us dive into the old, primeval waters of my favorite place in time-space, ancient Egypt. Dreams have long since been a subject of fascination for many, with evidence of dream-related lore found in various ancient cultures, including, of course, Egypt. The culture and civilization of ancient Egypt are subjects I've been absolutely enamored with since I was a wee lass, and I've always been a sucker for mythology and lore. I'm sure you've heard of the saying about sleep being little slices of death. According to ancient Egyptian beliefs, a sleeping person was occupying the liminal space between life and death, or this world and the underworld, duat, meaning sleepers were susceptible to the primordial darkness and all within it. If you were sleeping, you were vulnerable to dark forces, malevolent spirits of the deceased, or even demons. Egyptians of the time even had rituals to banish or ward off these evil forces after nightfall. In reading many of these spells, you start to notice that most of the creeping demons or approaching spirits are commanded to face backward, not allowing them allure through locking eyes with the dreamer. Many Egyptians would call upon specific gods and deities, sometimes using obscure titles in place of their names, or carving effigies of said gods, like Bess for example, into their bedposts or altar spaces. Some texts instruct dreamers to write a banishment spell on a piece of linen before placing it over the throat after one is woken, pouring water over the spell until the ink has washed away, banishing the demon permanently, and rendering the nightmare harmless. 
Spells were thought to be incredible tools against dark forces, though one did have to be careful, because even speaking the words of a spell could bring it to life. Words in general were considered powerful. This meant speaking about someone badly could manifest in the physical world. This is why some researchers think there are little records of individual descriptions of nightmares or many personal recollections. People were too afraid to write down the contents of their dreams and fear that their nightmares would become real in the waking world. Dr. Kasia Shpakovska is a renowned Egyptologist who wrote many articles and books on life in ancient Egypt, including Behind Closed Eyes, Dreams and Nightmares in Ancient Egypt, which we're going to take a closer look at. Here's an excerpt from the book regarding dreamtime spells. As with all Egyptian spells, the power of the spells inhered in the very names and letters, and the very act of writing or speaking the words had the effect of bringing them to life. Here the source of the fire is said to be Saya, Lord of Heaven, who Borgat suggests might actually be identified with the sun god Ra, or alternately, the Saya should be simply read as Falcon. Another passenger in this protective bark is the cobra goddess Wajet. One of her aspects is that of the rearing cobra or Uraeus, ready to strike and kill with her piercing gaze, spitting flames with her fiery breath. She is featured prominently in another Ramesid spell against nightmares. Here is the spell. O oh, male adversary, female adversary. Be far from dead male, dead female, without coming. He will not go forth face forwards, limbs as sound limbs, since his heart is for the evening meal, for the one in the moment of striking. In in, born of in in, has something missing, your hearts, O oh dead ones. He has seized your hearts, O oh dead males and dead females. He has offered them to the striker for his sustenance of this limbs. You all, you will not live. Your limbs are his offering cakes. You will not escape from the four noble ladies from this fortress of Horus who is in Shinit. Okay, and then it reads further that part of the spell is to be said over the four uraei made of pure clay and fire in their mouths. One is placed on each corner of each room in which there is a man or woman sleeping with a man or woman. The striker, or more literally striking power in this spell, is the ureus itself, as Rittner has explained. The sleepers in this prescription will be protected from the hostile demon, again scribed as one whose face is turned backwards, by the careful placement of four urii, the Egyptian fire-spitting cobras, which were to be made of clay and placed in each corner of the bedroom containing a sleeper. Rittner explains that the specific use of the four urii to designate the cardinal directions is suggested by the vignette of the Book of the Dead, spell 150, attested from the 18th dynasty and by the contemporary scenes of of the tenth hour of night according to the book of what is in the duat in which the solar bark is preceded by four goddesses bearing serpents on their heads who light the way for Ra. Super cool. The book then goes on to say, In ancient Egypt, fire and fire-breathing cobras protected the living from any dead, demons, or what are known by the Arabic-derived term, offerits, 
who attempted to gain access and terrify the living who were asleep in a state that is halfway between life and death. I will link this book for you in the episode description as well as in the reading recommendations, which will be at the end of the episode as usual. Written spells, figures, and other items related to the protection of those sleeping have been unearthed by archaeologists from the home sites of both commoners and kings alike. These items, along with hieroglyphs and written texts, lead us to believe that sleep and dreaming, specifically avoiding bad dreams, were of interest to most people in Egyptian society. Most researchers claim that there were even special temples dedicated to sleep and to dream incubation. I would like to share with you all a vision into part of the creation myth of ancient Egypt and the battle between night and day, light and dark, good and evil. Here's a bit of the origin story. Now, well, before that, if you're into videos, I highly recommend checking out Raw, The Path of the Sun God online. I'll link the site where you can purchase the video in the episode description. It's probably my favorite visual representation of a creation myth. Be careful watching, however, if you have um, conditions like epilepsy or other visual issues, as it is an older animation with a dark backdrop and vivid dancing colors. Let's get back into the myth. Now, for the sake of familiarity, I, I guess I'll say, I'm going to use pronunciations that I am familiar with and that I believe most other people listening to this would be familiar with. However, of course, there are other pronunciations of these names, and I'm sure that the way that I am going to pronounce them is highly inaccurate, but let's get into it. Every night, the sky goddess Nuit swallows up the sun god Ra, or Re, or Re, or however it's actually pronounced, sending him on his journey into the netherworld along with his holy procession. Ra must defeat minor demons and evil gods before battling Set, god of disorder and malevolent brother of Osiris, Nephthys, and Isis. Set is the one who cuts Osiris into pieces while he slept, and Isis and Nephthys had to bind the pieces they could find together, Isis delivering the breath of life into her husband to create the very first mummy. Set tried many times to kill Osiris due to jealous rage. They battle on, Ra finally becoming the victor over Set and returning with his procession to the womb of Nut. There, Nut gives birth to triumphant Ra, usually in the form of a scarab, restarting the daily cycle and allowing him to rise as the sun. I could go on forever discussing Egyptian lore and culture, though I think we'll have to save that for another episode. To pull away from the Fertile Crescent and all its wonder, let's take a plunge into those murkier waters we discussed before. So we've talked about nightmares a bit, so now let's talk about night terrors and sleep paralysis. As previously mentioned, night terrors are a form of parasomnia, a condition in which sleepers portray unusual and sometimes disturbing behaviors. Roughly 2.2% of adults experience night terrors, which to me is, again, a surprisingly low number, as opposed to the 40% of children that are said to experience them. Telltale signs of night terrors can include shouting, screaming, talking, bedwetting, or waking suddenly with a feeling of intense dread or as if someone or some threat is nearby. 
Some doctors believe there is a genetic link in those with parasomnia. If, say, your father suffered from night terrors or a sleep disorder, there is a higher probability that you, as his offspring, will also develop the same issues. There are tons of reported cases of people suffering from various forms of parasomnia who have accidentally committed crimes or ended up hurting themselves or others. In fact, in the summer of 2008, a man named Brian Thomas did just that. He and his wife Christine had departed on a usual trip in their camper van in the west part of Wales, where they both had their late evening interrupted by what Brian Thomas referred to as boy racers, who were out late in the night being disruptive. Because of the people on motorbikes, he said that he and his wife relocated to another car park area, but that later in the night he awoke thinking that they had broken into their camper van. Brian Thomas thought he was attacking intruders when in reality he was strangling his wife Christine to death. He called emergency services and reported that he had tried to wake her up but couldn't, and he must have killed her thinking she was an intruder. Surprisingly, the case against him was dropped and Brian Thomas was not convicted of murder. He admitted that he had suffered from night terrors that went untreated for nearly 50 years. I'll link a report on this case in the episode description under sources for those who are interested. Because night terrors occur during non-REM sleep, and usually during the first parts of the sleep cycle, without a narrative, they are not considered the same as nightmares. And though night terrors and sleep paralysis can occur together, they are not one and the same. Sleep paralysis is a phenomenon whose term alone can cause shivers in some, and probably for good reason. I don't think anyone would wish to experience it. Apparently, being physically paralyzed is normal for us during sleep, as it prevents us from acting out our dreams. For some, however, the loss of muscle control, or atonia, persists through the dream into waking, meaning you're then aware of your inability to move. Episodes of sleep paralysis generally only occur one to two times during the lifetime of your average person. However, persistent cases of sleep paralysis are usually symptoms of an underlying condition such as narcolepsy or can be caused by, again, PTSD and other traumas or psychiatric conditions. Symptoms of sleep paralysis include the inability to move or speak, a feeling of respiratory arrest, suffocation, or a weight on the chest, or feelings of a perceived threat or other presence nearby. The Sleep Foundation reports that 75% of sleep paralysis episodes involve hallucinations that are distinct from typical dreams. These hallucinations can make the sleeper feel like they're floating or flying and are called vestibular motion hallucinations, or can cause the sleeper to feel threatened by an unknown presence, which is sometimes visible to the sleeper. The latter of these types of hallucinations are usually accompanied by the incubus hallucinations or the feeling of suffocation due to a perceived weight on the chest. Old hag syndrome is one such name for the suffocating feeling due to the perception of a presence or weight on one's chest. The term old hag originated in Newfoundland, but similar stories of different monikers can be heard all around the world dating back many, many years. They all state the same basic thing. One is awakened from sleep but cannot speak or move, and breathing becomes difficult due to some frightening thing sitting on one's chest or stomach. 
The malevolent forces that are seen are sometimes described as an old, haggard-looking woman, a witch, or a small, goblin-like creature. It is this goblin-like, devilish depiction that we see crouched atop a beautiful blonde woman who is splayed about reclined in Henry Fuseli's famous painting The Nightmare, which I'm sure you're familiar with. If not, definitely take a look at it. Speaking of The Nightmare, there is a horror documentary feature of the same title directed by Rodney Asher and released in 2015. This documentary was available on Netflix, though it may have since moved platforms, I'm not quite sure. Regardless, the feature discusses the experiences of several people suffering from recurring nightmares, sleep paralysis, and other sleep disorders. It sometimes feels as though it alludes to the possibility of supernatural or even extraterrestrial origins of the phenomenon, but nonetheless it is a very compelling watch and might even give you the creeps. It certainly made me reconsider my sleeping arrangements, though I've never really liked sleeping on my back completely supine due to fear, though I don't know of what. Alright, so some reading recommendations for you guys. Behind Closed Eyes, Dreams and Nightmares in Ancient Egypt by Dr. Kasia Shpakovska. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering her name. I'll, I'll try better. Dreams and Nightmares, The New Theory on the Origin and Meaning of Dreams by Ernest Hartman. Nightmare Prevalence, Nightmare Distress, and Self-Reported Psychological Disturbance by Gary Fireman and Ross Levin. And I have linked that for you in the description. The Book of the Dead and the Book of Newt. Also, maybe the book of what is in the Duat. I have linked also the PDF version for you of Nightmares in Ancient Egypt, also by Dr. Kasia Shpakovska, as well as Thematic and Content Analysis of Idiopathic Nightmares and Bad Dreams by Genevieve Robert and Antonio Zadra. Video Recommendations Ra, The Path of the Sun God, A Vision of Ancient Egypt by Leslie Keen The Nightmare by Rodney Asher That about wraps up this episode of the Primordia Podcast, your source for strange. We discussed the ancient origins of nightmares, touched on sleep disorders, and even shared a personal experience, and I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. Remember, if you are someone or you know someone who has a strange story to share, whether it's alien-related, a case of deja vu, spooky stuff, or just an off-putting situation or occurrence, we'll feature it on our next episodes. Just send us a message at primordia.bwc at gmail.com or shoot us a message or submit a post over on Facebook or Instagram, link in the podcast description. I am working to make transcripts of each episode available on the Primordia podcast site, which I will link in the podcast description as well when it's up and running for everyone. As always, thank you so much for listening. Stay strange.